Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Yes, we're still there. And this should be the final one. This is number 4. 1 John 5. While you're turning there, I want to say happy birthday to my dear sister-in-law, Valerie. God bless you. And Nadia with us today. Happy birthday. I can remember the first birthday that I was involved with the family was our, my first date with your sister. We went out to the beach on a Sunday in February to see the beach in the cold and came back for some homemade chocolate cake that was delicious. And it was... <laughs> anyway, happy birthday. All right, so we're in uh, 1 John 5, and the name of the sermon is Can I Get a Witness? Uh, now, I will be reading from the New King James Version. And I, I, last week I had mentioned that some of you used NIV or something else. And verse number 7 is the one verse we have a little bit of an issue with. So we're going to spend some time on that as we get going. But anyway, can I get a witness? Uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 13, and then we'll pray. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now this is New King James Version. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Father, Lord God, thank you for this powerful passage in which there's much theology. We pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to help us decipher it, apply it to our lives, and change our lives. We pray, Lord, that you, you would anoint me as I bring forth the word. Let me preach the way you want. Let it be received and heard and applied the way you want as well, Lord. And, and all this, let us be changed for the better. And may you, Lord, be glorified. So we thank you for it. And Lord God, I also want to take a minute to just pray a blessing over my sister-in-law, Valerie. Bless her on this her birthday the season. Let it be a great year of her life. We give you thanks. We give you praise for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, it's been said that verse number seven here is one of the most discussed verses in the Bible. I found that out yesterday. Uh, so can I get a witness? Here's the, uh, the dictionary definition of what we're talking about. An attestation of a fact or an event. One who has personal knowledge of something, a testimony. So when I say, can I get a witness? I'm saying, can somebody stand up? Not now, but I mean, stand up in life and be known as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you know that you know, you know for a fact that he changed your heart and he changed your life. So can I get a witness? And um, 
So let's go over verses 6 through 13 just as a refresher. It's been two weeks. Uh, So verses 6 through 13, profound theology here. Insights that are very important. Verse number 13, as you know, you should know already, is critical to this. This was written so that we would know that we have eternal life. And that we would continue to believe in the the name of the Son of God. So this is written for a distinct person. Remember, he's also combating the the Gnostic heresy that was going on. Uh, We're not dealing with that today. We're dealing with just our own stuff that we deal with. But I I find it encouraging that he's writing so that we would know that we have eternal life. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I wonder if there's some people here or some people at home that sometimes doubt. This whole thing. We doubt God. We doubt what's really going to happen when we die. You know, and then that we will continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There are seasons of life when we all go through times of doubt and and wonder, like, what's what's really going to happen? Well, this is written so that we would know that we have, first of all, eternal life. And second of all, that we would continue to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. So to me, that's very important. So verse number six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. It's kind of emphasized the water and blood. And we talked about this. This is in reference to Jesus' obedience to the Father and submission to the Father to be baptized in water by John and to shed his blood on Calvary as, as our sacrifice, as we just said. And so, And then the Holy Spirit bears witness of this. So that's verse number six. But when you think about it, verse number six can be dissected in such a way that we have a glimpse of the Trinity in verse number six. We have Jesus coming, being, being obedient and submissive, submissive to the Father in water baptism and, and the cross. And we have the Holy Spirit bearing witness. So we have verse number seven in the New King James, which is what I use. These three bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. But I know a lot of you don't have that. I'll get to that in a minute. Verse number eight, there are three that bear witness on the earth. The Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood. And this means the Holy Spirit is at work today, right? He is definitely at work today. And and the water and the blood is, is indicating that the church is at work today, baptizing people in water sharing communion like we just did, preaching about the blood of Jesus. These three are bearing witness on the earth. And then uh, we go to verse number nine. If we receive the witness of men, uh, my comment there is, okay, that's good, I guess, but the witness of God is better, greater. And this is the witness of God. This is the witness of God that Jesus has come in obedience and submission to offer his life as a sacrifice for our salvation so that we can have everlasting life. Verse number 10, he who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. We talked about having an inner witness that we know that we know that we're saved. Or we may know that we know that we're not saved. But there's an inner witness if we receive the Spirit of God. If we receive Christ as our Savior, there's a witness within us. And... uh, so let's see, where are we? Verse number 10, enter witness. And verse number 10, I think, is important because it says, He who does not believe has made God a liar. I commented on this two weeks ago when I said, So there's a choice. Either you choose to believe or you choose not to believe. But if you choose not to believe 
And what God has said in his word, you're making him out to be a liar. And the truth is it in you. I don't want to be like that. Uh, Verse number 11. uh, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. And uh, that kind of goes with verse number 9. And verse number 12, very matter of fact, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And by the way, have you ever noticed uh, a believer, when you meet a, a believer, that they have a certain look about them? You can really see it in their eyes if you take time. Because they have life in their spirit. Something changed when they came to know Jesus Christ. Something uh, was changed in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit. And that's because they have the life of Christ living in them. Jesus said, I've come to give life and give it abundantly. The thief has come to kill, rob, and destroy your life. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life. And if you have Christ in you, you have this life. You have like a, a newfound passion to, to please God and, and, to, and to just do what God wants you to do, what you're called to do. And verse number 13, then uh, the purpose of why it was written that we would know that we have eternal life and that we would continue to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So verse number seven, though, can we look there for a minute? Uh, I'm curious, how many of you uh, re- read regularly uh, as your Bible the, the uh, New King James Version? How many use New King James? How many use NIV? Okay. How many of you use others? <laughs> King James? Okay. All right, well, I want to put it up on the screen here. And I want to talk about this. Because I, looking back on the last several weeks, whenever I talked about and I spent a lot of time in verse number 7. But I thought I saw on some people's faces, I didn't know if you were following me. Now I think I know why. Because if you have an NIV or other translation, your Bible's different than my Bible. Now, I didn't even know that until a week and a half ago when someone called me and said, Hey, uh, Pastor Rick, your Bible is different than my Bible. I said, What do you mean? And I read other translations sometimes to get a different slant on things, but I didn't on this particular passage. But I found out that, that this scripture is the, one of the most discussed verses in the whole Bible because it reads differently in different translations. So in my mind... We need to address it just for a few minutes, if that's okay with everyone. So New King James says, these three, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. The NIV says, for there are three that testify. And then it goes right into verse number eight, which says the three are the Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood. And so I had, I had to think about that. And I said last week, we take a few minutes to kind of talk about it. So let me talk about it for a few minutes. I find it interesting. I hope that you will too. But um, the NIV, the New King James, and the King James Version, based on what I just studied, are are the three most accurate uh, translations of the original manuscripts. King James was published in 1611 by the one and only King James and the Church of England. And that was dominant the whole time until a little bit later. But in the 70s and 80s, there began to be other, other translations. In 1978, the NIV was published by International Bible Society. In 1982, the New King James came out by Thomas Nelson Publishers, which took the King James and took it out of Old English and brought it into like American English. 
And I've been using New King James for a long, long time. However, when I first got saved, Pamela and I used the American Standard Version. And I still like the American Standard for some things. But other, other translations are American Standard, English Standard, the Passion Bible, the Living Bible, the Good News Bible, Barclays Bible, the Amplified Bible. And they're all, they're all good. You know, they're all good. But there's one thing about the King James and the New King James that I have to say. Now, you may have seen some different uh, studies that kind of compare scriptures from the different translations to see how much they're similar or different and how much they stay true to the original documents in the first place. Well, here's the thing with King James and New King James is that they have determined to keep certain phrases and concepts in the wording of their translations, specifically regarding the blood of Jesus, the only begotten Son, redeemed by the blood, eternal life through Christ alone, And some of the other translations kind of soften that. They also keep various passages about moral issues very clear. The message, by the way, uh, is a great paraphrase of the Bible. I don't use it to preach from. I look at it every now and then just to get a broader picture of what might be trying to be said. But they are notorious for softening the blood of Christ softening moral issues to make it more acceptable to a wider audience, which I have a little bit of a problem with that, so I take it for what it is. But anyway, in in 1 John 5, 7, uh, we have this situation where verse number 7 in my translation, in in the New King James, is a true statement. It is absolutely a true statement. The issue is not whether it's true or false. The issue is was it part of the original writing of John in the first place? And so after I studied this and uh, drove myself crazy trying to find an answer, there's no simple answer, but most people believe that it was not in the original writing of John as the way it is in King James or New King James. And then you have to say, why was that? Like, I want to know, why, why was it like that? Why did King James use manuscripts that that had what they had, and that's how he wrote it in English? Well, as the story goes, there were, uh, there were, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Yeah, scholars, thank you. (laughs) Scribes, scribes and scholars in the 14th and 15th centuries that would transcribe the original Greek and Hebrew into whatever. And so as they were doing that, some of the scribes put comments in the, in the side. And so when he, when he got to verses 6 and 7 and 8, some, several people wrote comments as to what John was saying. So going back to verse number 6, like I said, if you look at verse number 6, you can see a picture of the Trinity in there. So the next thing he, he was trying to clarify what John meant by saying what he said in verse number 7. Although the NIV and the others that I mentioned go back to the trans, uh, transcripts prior to 14th or 15th century. And, and, and they're saying it was never there in the first place, so we're not going to put it there. Okay, so I think what, what we can say is... Uh, it doesn't violate the truth of the word. It clarifies something that they thought was being said. And if it violated the truth of the word, then we'd have an issue. But we do believe in the Trinity. So I wanted to give you quickly some scriptures about the Trinity. 
that I think are important in the context of verse number 7. And I'm, I'm going to simplify this really as basic as I could get. But there's only one God. There's one God. For instance, 1 Timothy, well, I have a couple of scriptures here. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between man and God, Jesus. But there's one God. James 1.19 says, um, you believe in one God, you do well, but even demons believe. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8.4 says, there is no other God but one. So not to mention all the Old Testament scriptures. There's one God. But then we read scriptures like, and I'm going to be very basic. Jesus said in John 6.27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. God the Father. So the Father is God. Right? There's only one God, but God, the, the Father is God. But then we read, for instance, in Titus 2.13, when Paul said, uh, we're waiting for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. So now the Son is referred to as God. All right, so now you have Father, Son. Now the Holy Spirit, you have, and I'm, I'm basic here, there's many scriptures, I'm just giving you one. In Romans 8, 9, and 14, Paul writes, if you're in the Spirit, or you're in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, the Spirit of God, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So when I read 1 John 5, 7, in my translation, the, the uh, New King James, it, it absolutely bears witness as truth to me. If you have the NIV, it's not there, and it doesn't really need to be there. Because the Trinity is already established. Does that help anybody? So, <laughs> I would, I mean, I love the uh, New King James. Um, I've been preaching from the New King James for the whole time we've been here, which is 14 years. So if you're ever, and by the way, if you ever hear something that's not in your Bible, please let me know so I could address it next time around. So this is an important issue. So anyway, uh, that's why uh, it, it is the way that it is. So can I get a witness? And we talked about four cardinal doctrines of the assemblies of God. I'm going to finish that up today. Okay. We talked about two of them already. I'm going to give you a quick summary so that you know where we are. The first doctrine is uh, Jesus Christ is Savior. He's the one and only Savior. Now, this is, everyone's, I know you're saying, oh, I know that. Oh, I, I know that you know that, but it's one thing to know it in church. It's another thing to know it when you're out somewhere on your job or with your family, and nobody else believes that. You'll be scorned upon. You'll, you'll be looked down upon because you're, as I said, you're narrow-minded. And we are narrow-minded. We are. So, Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. Um, Peter said, there's no other name under heaven by which men must, must be saved other than the name of Jesus. Peter said later, you're not redeemed by the traditions of your fathers, you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Have you ever heard that phrase, the precious blood? 
See, this was my issue coming into the faith because I believed the traditions of my family. My family's a good family. And uh, everyone's doing basically pretty well. I, I just needed to get saved. I'm not saved by the traditions of my family, which were good traditions. Go to church and be kind and be gracious and all, all those wonderful things. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about this, you know, um, we're saved, we're being saved, and we shall be saved in the future. And I want to leave you with this question. Like, can, can we get to a place that we could say that on the outside in spite of the feedback we're going to get? which may be very critical. Are we going to be worried about not being accepted? Are we going to be worried about being intimidated by people that don't agree with us? Are we going to be uh, intimidated like in Canada? Some, some, some pastors are being fined for saying what the Word of God says. Is that coming to America? Probably will sooner or later. But what are we going to do? Are we going to buckle under? Like I said uh, two weeks ago, that there's one prominent minister here in the States that was on a TV show, talk show, and was asked the question, is Jesus the only way? He knows Jesus is the only way. But in that atmosphere of pressure and unbelief, I mean, I I sympathize with the guy. He buckled. he, He didn't say it. He had a chance to say it, but he didn't say it. And I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but how would you do if you're at work and there's 10 people that are mocking you and whatever? Would you stand up and say, no, no, Jesus is the only way. That's what I'm saying. He is the only way. Okay, so the second thing we got into, the second doctrine, and uh, this morning, listen, at the 9 o'clock, we have some visitors here that uh, I know they're not from a Pentecostal background. Boy, they, they love this one. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. You know, we're Pentecostal. We believe in what's called the second work of grace. We get saved, and then we get filled with the Holy Spirit for empowerment. Here's the scenario. John 20. Uh, Jesus was risen from the dead. He didn't ascend yet. He's appearing for 40 days. He's with his disciples. At one point, he, he breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they're born again at that moment. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit, John chapter 3. So we're born again by the Spirit. After that, he says, go into all the world and preach. Make disciples. Teach everybody. Baptize them. But don't go just yet, he says in Luke 24. Don't go just yet. Wait until you receive the power from on high to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. So we see this. Uh, and in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled. You know the story? Peter rose up and preached. 3,000 got saved that day. Glorious birth of the church. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. The church is off to a great start. And we see that repeated, the pattern repeated throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8. With the Samaritans, they believed they were having revival for goodness sakes. But later, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see Paul that was saved, and he also was filled with the Holy Spirit a little bit later. We see Cornelius, Acts 10, who, was, who believed and was saved, and he and his household received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts 19, the Ephesians, they believed. They were baptized into Jesus' name. They were you know, born-again believers, and then they had hands laid on them. They prophesied and spoke in other tongues. So listen, this baptism is for today. And it's still valid for today. The initial evidence is speaking in other tongues. 
But the ongoing evidence would be the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Uh, a consecrated life, a life of, of dedication to the Lord. And so you may say, how do I get it? Well, you pray to Jesus. He's the baptizer. Pray to Jesus to fill you. Pray, have other people pray for you to receive and stay consecrated to the Lord. So I wonder if I could get a witness that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for today. I could be a witness for that. I hope that many of you can. I don't, you know what? In these last days, I'm afraid. Did I ever tell you this? Several years ago, I was preaching on this subject of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is maybe five or six years ago. It was a while ago. And of all days to come, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in our district came to visit that day. He and his wife. He was sitting right over there. And I preached my heart out about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We went over to the house. He said, you know, Rick, no one ever preaches that anymore. I said, why not? He goes, I don't know why not. It's still valid. It's still true. I said, well, what's the matter with everybody? He goes, I don't know. They might be intimidated. I don't know about you. I'm, I, I, you know my story. I, 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 I'm a Pentecostal person. I know the power of the Holy Spirit. If I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, order my casket, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I need that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I'll preach this until Jesus takes me home because it's in the Word of God. And not only that, it's not only an Assembly of God doctrine, it's a biblical doctrine. All these are biblical doctrines. It's just that the Assemblies have embraced them as the four most, like, not most important, but more obvious ones that we believe. So let me go to number three and number four. Can we do that? Hello? It's like if I, if I had a... I could go. Okay, are you here? Okay. The third one is this, cardinal doctrine number three. Jesus is our healer. And we need to talk about this because uh, a lot of stuff happens and we have some results with people getting healed and other results people don't get healed, but uh, we, can, we, can, we need to talk about this. Well, turn with me, if you can, to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is probably the most graphic depiction of what the Messiah was going to go through. And Jesus fulfilled it 100%. So I'm going to read Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. This is what it says. Surely he is, I'm going to add a little bit as we go along. Surely he has borne our griefs on the cross. Remember the analogy in Second Chronicles about all the bulls and the lambs and the rams, all the blood? Okay. Jesus bore our griefs on the cross. He carried our sorrows to the cross. Yet we esteemed him stricken at the cross, smitten by God, afflicted on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions on the cross. He was bruised for our iniquities on the cross. The chastisement for our peace was upon him on the cross. And by his stripes on the cross, we are healed. Now that's a valid statement and a prophecy that came true when Jesus did what he did. So if that's true, we can say Jesus Christ is still a healer. So bear with me here. The Gospels declare that Jesus healed the sick. Jesus rebuked diseases. He cast out demons. He forgave people their sins. He set sinners free. Mark chapter 5, one of my favorite stories in the Bible about the demoniac of Gadarene. Do you know the story? I love the story. This man was so messed up 
mentally, physically, spiritually. He lived in a cemetery cutting himself and just screaming all the time. No one could control him or chain him up. He was wild and crazy. He was demon-possessed. And Jesus came and out of his busy schedule took time to minister to this guy and cast out legions of demons out of him. And one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, after that happened, we see here's the man now sitting and clothed and in his right mind. I love that scripture. He's sitting down. He couldn't sit down before. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. He was so anxious, he could not sit still. Now he's clothed. He was naked before. He's in his right mind. He was out of his mind before. But Jesus came and brought healing to him. I love that. So, book of Acts declares, Acts chapter 10, God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went about doing good in healing all... um, all the uh, all that were oppressed because God was with him. Jesus was anointed to cast out demons and set those that are trapped free. So the disciples laid hands on people. They prayed for people. And the sick were healed. The possessed were delivered. And, and the dead were even raised from the grave. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does that have any significance in this context? You better believe it does. If Jesus went about doing good, healing everybody, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means the healing is for today. So we stand on the promises of God's word, and, and and our job is to pray for people. God's role is to heal people according to his will. The Great Commission, Mark chapter 16. Go into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature. And signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. You'll cast out demons. You'll speak with new tongues. If you're in any danger, you'll be protected and you'll be healed. You'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is the good news. So let me talk about this for a minute. When I accepted Christ, I was... As healthy and fit as could be. Young man in my mid-twenties, my body wasn't the problem. It was up here that was the problem. My spirit, my emotions were all twisted and confused. And Jesus came and healed me. And I'm a witness of that. When I say, can I get it? I'm a witness of that. I know that that happened to me. I know that that happened. I wasn't sick physically. But like the demoniac, his mind was messed up. My mind wasn't that bad, but I was pretty bad. But anyway, Jesus delivered me. He set me free. So there's a, there's a spiritual healing that takes place when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it is absolutely an act of faith. Well, I didn't know. Someone told me, I said, yeah, I do believe that. I didn't know all that was involved in it, but boy, I found out soon enough. It's a life commitment, a lifelong commitment. So there's a spiritual healing. And the greatest miracle we're ever going to see in a person's life, by the way, is their salvation. Now, Lazarus, God bless him. He died and God, Jesus raised him from the dead, but he had to die later, right? There's no record of him coming back the second time. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> but, you know. But spiritually, we, 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 get, we get healed spiritually. 
I would say, you know, we, we have this saying, we're saved, being saved, and shall be saved. How about we're, we're like, like we're healed, we're being healed, and we shall be healed too. It all kind of goes together. I mean, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not totally healed, are you? In my mind, in my spirit, in my body, I'm not totally healed. That won't come till later anyway. There was someone here this morning that we talked a few minutes before church, and they were talking about losses in their lives, loved ones that were very dear to them. And there were several people that died in a relatively short span of time. And I share some of my experiences, too. And who doesn't have hurts? Man, I got my hurts. I have, I have sorrow over some of these things that have happened to me and my family. But Jesus is my healer. I have to say, I have to bring this home. Jesus is our healer spiritually. And Jesus is our healer in our soul. Like that demoniac, his soul, his spirit was gone, but his soul was really conflicted. Cutting himself, running around, being crazy and nutty. His soul needed to be restored. I feel like God did that for me. He restored my spirit, yes, but my soul was what the issue was too. And then the body. Oh, yes, we pray for people to get healed. And there are many times God does heal the sick that we pray for. You know, this is the, uh, the year anniversary time frame of when Bethany Nato came out of the hospital. If you remember last year, January, February, it may be a little bit later, but March, these, these couple of months, she was like knocking on heaven's door. And the family was so destroyed. We prayed, we fasted. People all over the place were praying and, and, and God had mercy and delivered her physically and delivered her emotionally because she had these very like horrific experiences in the spirit when she was in the, in the, uh, in the coma. And God healed her and restored her life. I think about some of the recent things. Tim, Tim Diedley's friend, uh, I forget his name, James, I think it was. Uh, healed of a, of a lung problem on his deathbed. We, many people praying, praying, and, and God heard and God delivered him. And we're still trusting the Lord for others. Adrian Velez is a, a, another person. We're diligently praying for Adrian. His cancer, very bad. So, James chapter 5 tells us a little something we need to focus on. And James is, is the first epistle written in the New Testament for the church. So early, very early on in the development of the church, James says, if, Is anyone among you suffering? If so, pray for them. So someone may be suffering because they had a loss in their family. They, someone died, someone passed away, their life isn't going. They're suffering, they're in turmoil. Pray for them. And if they're sick... Call upon the elders of the church. He'll anoint with them with oil and pray over them. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And if they've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven as they confess their faults to one another and get on with their life in the Lord. So there's, there's a healing ministry going on within the body of Christ. I always question this. Why would the Lord command us to pray if he's not going to answer the prayers? He said, pray for the sick. Pray for the suffering. Pray for those that are lost. Pray, pray, pray. I am the healer. Psalm 103, one of my favorite, it says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives you of all your sin and iniquity 
who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things and renews your youth like the eagle. I like that one the best out of all those. So yeah, so there's something about our relationship with the Lord. He brings healing to our lives, wholeness to our lives. And so you may ask, well, what if the person we prayed for dies? Well, first of all, let's pray for their salvation. Because if a Christian dies, they got the ultimate victory and glory anyway. So the most important thing is to pray for their salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, in the context of the dead rising to be with the resurrected Lord, he says, uh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Even if we die, guess what? We have the victory. Our brother Gary, he wouldn't even want to come back here. I'm convinced. He's healed. He's delivered. He's with Jesus. He's not coming back here if he had a choice. So ultimately, he is our ultimate healer when we are in his presence. And like I said, Lazarus died once and was raised again, but he didn't come back a second time that I know of. You know? So we, let's just trust God to be our healer. Amen. Be our healer. I would include, don't stop praying for people in your lives that need salvation. They need spiritual healing. Pray that they would get saved. Let the Holy Spirit move upon them. Okay, the last one is this. We're going to wrap this up. The fourth cardinal doctrine. So we have Jesus as Savior. Jesus is baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our healer. Number four is Jesus is our soon coming king. Amen? He's a soon coming king. The Catholics say Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. The Protestants say in the Apostles' Creed, he is seated at the right hand of God and will come to judge the living and the dead. The born-again evangelicals say, soon and very soon, we shall see the king. But the Pentecostals, Maranath, the Lord come now, I'm ready to go. And it's always been a part of the Christian theology and doctrine that Jesus Christ is coming again. It's always been there. And so we embrace that thought. Especially, I mean, two years ago, when the pandemic hit, my goodness, everyone was saying, Jesus is coming back. And, and, you know, and then you have the violence in the streets and you have all the stuff going on. You have the hurricanes and tornadoes. Everything's crazy. And the weather and all these things and war. Now you have the Ukraine situation. Now people are saying, he's really coming back now. Well, yeah, he is coming back. And we could get into all that. But the point is, he's coming back soon. And, and every, every uh, generation or every, every, every Christian movement that had this as something in the forefront of what they believed and taught and, and practiced, had revival. There's something about thinking and believing that Jesus is coming like today or tomorrow that makes us get our lives in order. And it could very well happen. So let me share a few things. John 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. I, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may come too. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to come back to get you so that you can come where I am. I'm going to come back. And Thomas said, well, Lord, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, yeah, you know the way. And Thomas said, no, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets there to the Father but through me. 
So Jesus is preparing a place. Someone said, what is Jesus doing now? He's preparing a place now. When it's ready, it's going to happen. Rapture of the church. We're out of here. Seven year tribulation and all that's involved. But he's coming soon. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We, we shall not all sleep or die, but we'll all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed. Paul was under the belief and assumption that he would be here when Jesus came back. I think that's a good way to live. 1 Thessalonians 4, the, the, one of the most obvious scriptures, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who died in Christ. For Jesus will bring them with him when he comes back again. He says that the Lord will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who remain will be caught up with him to be with the Lord forever. And therefore comfort one another with these things. So can I get a witness? Doesn't something tell you in your heart that Jesus is coming back soon? I mean, think about it. Just logically think about what's going on. And Jesus also addressed, as in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man comes back. And there are people out there saying, oh, it's just another thing. It's just another thing. It's just another thing. In fact, Peter addresses that in one of his epistles. Everyone's saying, where's this Christ that everyone said was coming back? People are still saying it. One day it's going to happen. One day it will happen. So we believe, like like John said, 1 John 3, 3, if we have this hope in us, this blessed hope of Christ's return. It says in 1 John 3, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what it's really going to be like, but this is what we know. If we have this hope in us, we purify ourselves to be ready for his return. And thus we live our life that way in consecration to the Lord. I don't want to be like the, the, ten, uh, the five virgins that they had the lamp and the lamp was empty, had no oil. The other five had their lamps filled with oil. They were able to go into the wedding. But the bridegroom cometh, church. The bridegroom cometh. He's coming. He's coming. And we need to be ready for his return. So in conclusion, can I get a witness that Jesus Christ is Savior? Can I get a witness that he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? Can I get a witness that he's a healer? Can I get a witness that he's the soon coming king. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Those of you at home, hang on for two more minutes. Every head bowed. Every head bowed. If we're saying Jesus is a savior, is there anybody here, anybody online that needs a savior today? Jesus is here to save your soul. He's here to deliver you today. And raise your hand if that's you. I need a savior today. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Does anybody need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're saying, Pastor Rick, now you're going too deep. No, I am going deep. But there's a second work of grace. If you need power, you need anointing to stand up for your faith, for your convictions, for your beliefs. Maybe your family is giving you a hard time. Your work people are giving you a hard time, whatever. And you need the power from on high to be a witness for the Lord. I need the Holy Spirit. Anyone need the baptism in the Holy Spirit? I need a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit. We said Jesus is a healer. Is anybody sick? Body, soul, spirit. Can we run to the Lord for the healing that we need today? Those of you at home, you know, 
Can we run to the Lord and pray to God to bring healing to our bodies, to our spirit, man, to our soul, our emotions as well? And can I get a witness that Jesus is the soon coming king? And someone's going to say, well, if that's the case, I need to get my house in order. I need to get my house. I'm a Christian, but. You know, I'm a Christian, but. Oh, yeah, I got some loose ends. Well, time to tighten up the loose ends. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. Lord, I've been, we've been here for a couple of weeks. I think, I think we've got it now. Can I get a witness? Lord, I feel like you're saying to us, can I get a witness? You're saying to the church, can I get a witness in these last days that Jesus is who he said he was? That the Holy Spirit's bearing witness that God the Father's involved and there's a trinity working here and the church is active the holy spirit is active and all this is going on so that so that people will know they have eternal life and they will continue to believe in the name of the son of god lord that's our prayer today lord as as pressure is mounting we see it we hear it on the news all the time pressure is mounting and lord as the ukraine situation is what it is at the same, in the same news article, the same news lineup, I, I, I read all these things about frivolous stuff that's not even important in the news. <laughs> Lord, we're reading about a country being overtaken, and in the same breath, we're hearing about something, some incidental thing happening that makes no difference to anybody, let alone all the immoral stuff that's being reported as newsworthy, and it's not. Lord, it seems like the issues of importance are so downgraded and frivolous things are so upgraded, people are basically lost and confused as to what's important anymore. That's why, Lord, we need your word. We need the filter of your spirit to see life the way you see it. So, Lord, I pray, I want to end this by just praying, Lord, for those that need a Savior to come running to the altar either here or at home or somewhere, get alone with God and receive him on your own level. If someone needs to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that that phrase would begin to more or less hound people. What is that? What is that? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let people be curious and study the word of God and let that desire for more be upon us powerfully, especially in these last days. Lord, for anyone that's sick in body, soul, or spirit, like that demoniac, he, 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 he represents all of us. He was sick in every way, but Jesus, you healed him. So we pray for healing today. And Lord, for those that have this hope within us, we believe you're coming soon. And so we, we will purify our lives. We will sanctify and consecrate our lives on a daily basis as we await your return. Lord, knowing that as we do that, it's not a punishment, it's a privilege to live in readiness. It's a privilege, it's a joy to live in, in, uh, in, uh, in readiness of your return. So Lord, help us to get there. Help us to do that. And, and Lord, as we do, we're going to stand on John 10, 10. 
that the thief has come to kill and to steal and to rob us, destroy us. But the Son of God has come to give us life and give, it a, give us abundant life. So, Lord, help us to live and to pursue that abundance life. Lord God, may flesh die. May the spirit realm increase in our lives. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. We see it. We see it, Lord. We, we, we need your help in getting there. So, Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. So, Lord, as we conclude this section, may we leave here today encouraged that by the grace of God, I am a witness. I'm standing on the word. I'm not perfect, but I am standing on the word of God. He who began a good work in me, he is faithful to complete that work. I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to stand in your love. I'm going to stand in your grace and your mercy, even though I may fail you. I'm going to get back up again and get covered with the blood again and keep going forward with you. So, Lord, I thank you for this time and your word. I pray blessings over everyone here, everyone at home on the live stream, uh, anyone that will be watching this at a later date, Lord. Anoint the service for someone in the future as well. Lord, you continue to use live stream and YouTube and Facebook for your glory, oh God to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people will hear it that would normally never go to a church, but they would, they would sit down and listen to the word of God on one of these venues. So we thank you. We praise you. I pray blessings over everyone and give you all the glory, oh God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, Doug, do you have a song or something? You can play something quietly. Just... I know. Anyway, (laughs) the altars are open. If anyone needs prayer, uh, I'd be happy to pray with you for a few minutes. But God bless you. Go in victory. Join us on the live stream tonight at 6 if you can. God bless.